all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking, and it's the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So today we're talking about anxiety. It's something that over 30% of adults have struggled with at one time or another in their life. And it actually is a time right now during this year that many individuals, whether it's college students or elementary students, are developing some real anxieties about school entry. And I imagine there are probably some teachers who have the same thing and parents. The truth is uh, that over 30% of adults have struggled with anxiety at one time or another in their life. And so my question to you today is, they're a couple. Can you control your anxiety or does it control you? Today I want to talk about school, social, and general anxiety, why they happen, and what you can do to help yourself because, or, or your child or your loved one around you. There are really some simple ways to make changes, to have control over what's going on, to feel in control, and to, to feel that control and know that there's something for you to do can make a big difference in, in how you take charge of your, your own life. You know, I was listening, um, Olivia Newton-John, I think many of you know exactly who she is, a wonderful singer and actor, a beautiful person, and she just died after a long battle with cancer. And she said in an interview uh, just a few years ago, when asked about how she was doing, she said something like, it's a decision on our part, as to how you feel about things. So we make a decision on how we're going to do. And and a lot of that is true, and especially with anxiety. You know, last week we talked about happiness and how if you can stay on a happiness plane, you'll live longer. If you'd like to listen to that, I think it was a show that we had a lot of good callers and and a lot of good information. So if you'd like to listen to that podcast, if you missed all or part of the show, you can download it on your favorite podcast app and search for Southern Remedy, relatively speaking. So today I really wanted to stay on that theme, trying to talk more positively about what we can do when when something happens to us, an emotion like anxiety. Okay, there's no doubt that that some people have more anxiety than others. Keep in mind, a little bit of anxiety is okay. It's a response typically to stress. 
sometimes big stress, sometimes little stress. And, and sometimes it's hard to measure that stress. But we all have a certain amount of that. Um, and, and you need to know that anxiety is a normal reaction to stress. And it really can be beneficial on certain levels. So what do I mean by that? Why is anxiety okay? Well, the reason a little bit of anxiety is okay is because it really can do a few things. It can alert us to dangers. It, it can help us prepare for something and pay attention. And the way it does that is it it literally increases our attention it raises our our hormonal levels that raise our blood pressure a little bit raise our heart rate a little bit it it helps with our concentration and it also can help in lower amounts with problem solving because we're paying better attention so it'll improve our performance it sharpens our senses also. So if we are in a, an area of danger, a, a, you know, if, if something perhaps is coming after us, then we hear better, we see better, um, we're more alert. Okay, so a little bit, that, that's one theme I want us all to remember. A little bit of anxiety is okay. And all of us should have a little bit if we really care about things. A lot is not okay because a lot keeps your blood pressure high, your heart rate high. It wears you out, and sometimes it can interfere if it's heightened too much with your ability to really think through something because then you get into that panic mode. Now, every feeling of panic is not a panic attack, but being in that sort of panic mode where you can't calm down and you can't lower your respiratory rate or your heart rate, it really is very wearing. And it's very distracting because then you're thinking about, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm going to die. And then you can't do what you need to do, whether it's giving a talk in front of a few people or walking into a classroom. Okay, so keep that in mind. A little good, a lot not good. So anxiety disorders are the most common mental health disorder that we deal with. I mean, a third of us have anxiety at one time in our life or another. And like I mentioned, probably this time of year, there's a lot of Anxiety. I know we have at the medical center a lot of incoming medical students. I am sure almost all of them have felt significant anxiety, along with the excitement, I hope. Um, the same thing goes for our residents who come in who are postgraduate from medical school. Now they're entering a new phase of life where they're learning to be responsible for taking care of people. Again, a little bit of anxiety would be a good thing, right? You want them to concentrate and and really heighten their senses so they really know what they're doing, okay? So let's talk about a little bit more who who has it before we get to talking about how to manage it. 
As we're going along, please start thinking about your questions or perhaps your solutions on how you've managed your anxiety or your questions on specific cases of what to do to help someone else. Happy to talk about that. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. All right, so let's talk a little bit about who gets it most often. Women, as you would probably expect, have it a little bit more commonly than men. And part of that may be um, due to the fact that women seem to have a little bit more activated amygdala emotional um, portion of their brain and and perhaps are a little more sensitive to what's going on around them at times. And men, feel free to challenge me on that. But that's just one of those theoretical things. Um, but, you know, anxiety kind of re- refers to the anticipation of a future concern. It's not, it's, it's, it is the here and now of the reaction, but typically it's not what's happened right now. It's what could happen, whether it's if I walk into that classroom and somebody calls on me and I don't know the answer, or whether it's walking into a social situation and what if I don't know anybody there? What if I can't think of what to do or say? Um, What if there's somebody there who is going to embarrass me about something that happened previously? All, All of those thoughts can go through. So it's that emotional response to, it can be an immediate threat, but typically... It is more associated with that tensing up and worry. We always say worry does no good, and that's the truth. Worry about what might happen later. So the other problem is that anxiety disorders, when it's really a significant problem, it can cause people to try to avoid situations that trigger or worsen the symptoms. So guess what happens when you avoid situations? You get more comfortable, and then what happens? Then you learn that avoiding those situations is helpful because then your anxiety goes away because you you leave, you either leave that situation or you never enter it. And so, oh, good, now I feel more comfortable because that worry, that fear, that anxiety that I had about that potential what-if situation, all of the sudden goes away. So it's reinforcing. So very, very important to remember, don't, don't do that, you know, and that all of us have anxiety. All of us have a little bit. I'd like to hear from you if you think you don't ever feel anxiety. I'd like to to know how you do that because I'm certainly one of those who just about every time I do anything where I care about what's going to happen next, I have a little bit of anxiety, whether I'm speaking um, to a group of peers or whether I'm doing this radio show always get a little bit anxious. And I think that's okay. It is. 
you know, like we were talking about, it improves your senses, your awareness, your concentration. It helps you kind of stay on task, right? And so that's okay. But a lot is not good. So I'm going to tell you about a situation where a lot can be terrible and and why it's so important for us to learn how to manage that. I have a good friend who who has a child who who has always had a little bit of anxiety. Um, high performer, smart child, really does great, but cares a lot. And so we're at the beginning of school, and as that child was getting ready to walk into school, had not just a little bit of anxiety, but a full-blown panic attack rapid heart rate, just feeling like they couldn't think, breathing very rapidly, just unable to put one foot in front of the other and said, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't go in, I'm not going to do it, started crying. And so, of course, what would the reaction be to a caring mother? Oh, my gosh, my poor baby. My poor baby is struggling. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable, to to grab them up in your arms, to hug them and say, it's okay, we're going to step away, we'll, we'll try this again another time, right? Feels like what you want to do. But that is the completely, absolutely wrong thing to do, right? So the right thing to do is to make sure that you don't turn away and run from the school. Because what that does, just like we talked about before the break, what that does is it reinforces the the feeling that something bad might happen if you move through and enter that door. And so the important thing is to to work on calming, to find a friendly face, right, to help that child inner school, and to have a good plan on how they can help them calm. And then once everything's calmed down, typically if you can make it through that initial panic, you can get into the classroom. Then you come up with a plan on how, perhaps, to be better prepared for it next time. And we'll talk about some of that in a minute. But but again, turning and running from a situation is is really destructive to the ability to feel in con- control, um, so that you don't don't avoid it. So I think that is an an obvious situation. But there there are several other situations that perhaps people don't always relate to being really part of anxiety, but they've just fallen into a life pattern of of managing anxiety perhaps in an inappropriate way. So I want to talk a little bit about one situation that, that there are a lot of people out there who manage um, by just staying a bit isolated, and that is agoraphobia. And I think many of you probably 
have heard of that and and are not quite sure what that means. So let me define it first, and then I want to talk a little bit about it because I think many of you out there are dealing with it and and don't really quite realize what it is, but you've just developed a pattern in your life of what I would say missing out on things that you could perhaps enjoy if you did not have a touch of agoraphobia. So back to the the definition of agoraphobia. You know, all different phobias, um, fears and phobias are fall under that big umbrella of anxiety disorders. And so agoraphobia is a fear of being in situations where escape may be difficult or embarrassing or help might not be available if you have feelings of anxiety or panic. Okay, so agoraphobia develops typically when somebody's already been in a situation where something perhaps negative, it doesn't have to be major, but something negative has happened and then a sense of panic developed and you felt like you needed to escape and perhaps you had some difficulty escaping. So now you're worried that this is going to happen again. Typically the fear is out of proportion to the real situation. And um, to really call it agoraphobia, it's something that's gone on for a long time, right? So it it can manifest in any of these situations. I'm going to just name a few, like using public transportation, being in open spaces. So someone may just isolate themselves to their home because they don't feel like they can be in control out in the open. Or being in an enclosed space. People who don't feel like that they can get on an elevator, um, being outside of the home alone, standing in line or being in a crowd, um, typically exacerbated if that individual is alone in that crowd. Okay, so so then what happens is you actually avoid the situation or require somebody to be with you at all times uh, to, to help ma- help treat that anxiety. And so untreated agoraphobia can get really serious to the point where really people won't leave a house or or uh, cannot be in a situation of a crowd at all, ever, no matter what, even if they know people in the crowd. So very, very important to to one, know if that's developing and and know if it needs treatment. Another one that is fairly common is social anxiety disorder, and it's called social phobia also. So it's a person who really gets significantly anxious, uncomfortable, embarrassed, or feeling like they're being rejected in social situations when they're really not. So... Um, Those are a couple of things that we can talk about. Separation anxiety disorder is another one that children often feel. They don't want to be separated from their parents for one reason or another. 
But before I keep going with that, let's go to the phones. We have John on the road. Hi, John. Hi, uh, yes, Doctor. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad you called in. Tell us what your uh, questions or thoughts are. Great. My question is, I'm trying to, uh, I have a friend of mine. Um, she did put herself in a bad situation. Uh, basically, she did cheat on her husband. And it seems like her husband does not even want to talk about it, but she feels like he's already know it. And and now I've noticed that she's developed, you know, bad behavior of uh, playing a video game for a long period of time, uh, missing work, and and I'm trying to figure how I can help her without infringe her, you know, undeniable un- personality because she's a very undeniable individual. Mm-hmm. And I'll take the answer of the year. Okay. So if I understood you right, this is a friend who has apparently had an affair, whether short or long, and and now she must be feeling some anxiety or remorse about it and perhaps having some some feeling that sort of the con- chronic stress. Is that right? Correct. And, and some regret it and about it because she knows that she has done wrong but because her husband does not want to talk about it she finds herself in a position where create a lot of anxiety on herself because she don't know what he's going to say and and I'm trying to figure out how I can help her out you know to make the standard her anxiety is she fairly certain that he knows or is she certain that he knows yeah she's feel like he knows but she don't know if she just feel like he knows because he never talked to her about it ah so you know well i'll just say that's that's one big problem that can really start um causing major problems in relationships well obviously one having an affair um if if her husband knows and she suspects that he knows, he's probably either terribly hurt or terribly angry or both. And so many times people develop negative behaviors when they're angry or hurt. So a couple of things I would recommend to your friend, and, you know, you can certainly let her listen to this on podcast or, or just tell her that, that these are maybe some things that she could do. Uh, the very first thing, it sounds like she needs to clear her conscience. So she needs to sit down, and it may be good before she talks to her husband to sit down and kind of write out what she wants to say, get her thoughts all the way down so that um, that she can say, I don't know if you know this, but this happened. I love you. If she does, um, to tell the truth, I love you. It was a mistake. I feel terrible about it. I want you to know that I want to make amends, but I need to talk to you about it so that I know that you know I'm sorry. But she's going to need to get her thoughts together. Um 
if she is afraid of a violent reaction, then she might need to have somebody close to her near. Um, If she is not afraid of that, but just sad and feels guilty, then I think it would probably be better to have that conversation alone. Um, Right. So what do I do as a friend, uh, you know, as far as the helper out that, uh, that she does not need to be afraid if she needs to talk about it, but at the same time, she needs to understand that that has created enormous, you know, anxiety on herself. Yeah. And, oh, and without, you know, infringe her strong personality in terms of, you know, in denial, being, yeah. you know, being in denial personality. Well, well, John, I think what I would do is say to your friend, I care so very much about you. And as I'm watching you, I see such a change in behavior and I'm concerned. Do you, don't say, I think it is. Say, do you think it could be related to the fact that you are having problems or concerned about what happened? And if that's it, it would help you a lot to talk about it and and to talk through what has happened and talk through um, your regrets or your remorse or whatever so that then you can move forward because clearly you are not in a good space right now and I'm concerned about you and this is not good for you. So I think put it all in a caring, I care about you mode sense, not you were a bad person, you had an affair, but to say, to put it in a mode, we all make mistakes. Uh, If someone really loves you, they may have a little hard time at first, but they will work through it with you and get through it with you. So if you still both love each other. So I think oh. that's that's where I would go. A caring friend, oh. just say it out loud. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, Dexter. Okay. Well, I'm glad you called, John, and I hope that works. Would love to hear some feedback someday about how that went. Okay. Um, let's talk about what you're feeling anxious about, and maybe if we can talk through how to help yourself. Or maybe we can talk about some of the issues that have come about that you've learned to get through the anxiety and how you were able to do it. So join the conversation. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Then remember, if you're joining late and want to listen to the podcast, you certainly can go to your favorite podcast app and search Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, and and go to today's show on anxiety and managing anxiety and what it is and what to do. Um, it's common, common problem. And there are, we'll get to, to the ways that you can help control your anxiety in a few moments. But before I do that, I want to go over a call that came in and um, the caller was not comfortable going on the air. So the individual was a friend of someone who had developed agoraphobia. Now, keep in mind, agoraphobia is 
something that goes on for at least six months, or you really don't call it that. And this particular individual was not leaving her house and uh, not comfortable going out and being among other people. And there was some concern that perhaps it was related to some problems with obesity and perhaps not being comfortable um, the way she or he was. And so perhaps felt uncomfortable about their appearance and didn't want anybody to look at them. That's probably not an uncommon problem. Um, many times people are unkind and unkind comments are made. So what to do about that? So so the first step when someone has gotten into a situation is is sort of similar to what we were talking with our first caller, John, about the first step to help a friend is to sit them down and let them know, go visit them, ask for permission to come and visit. Because I always feel like a face-to-face, eye-to-eye talk is better than than trying to do something via phone and, and certainly better than email or text. So first thing is see if you can schedule a face-to-face visit. Go sit down with them and say, I'm concerned. You're doing this, and this isn't good for you, and we need to figure out a plan to help you. And maybe the first thing is, let me take you out. Let's let's go for a ride or let's go for a walk or something. And, and then say, tell me why you're having difficulty going out. Do you need to talk to someone to help you? You know this is unhealthy. And, and then if they want to just, if they divulge anything, if they want to talk at all, say, you know, we can get you some help. We can, we can find someone to help you to step through this. But the first step is, is admitting, one, if there really is an issue, to be able to admit, yes, I just can't make this first step. If they're, they're really significantly in trouble, then the good news is if they need help by a professional before they can even leave their home, that help is now available. There are some at-home telebehavioral health, mental health services out there, depending on where you are. But you can, I promise you, they are out there all across Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and Tennessee, And so I know we have listeners in all of these states. And so keep that in mind. You can Google telebehavioral health services. Most of your major universities now have that. I know we do at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And right now, luckily for us, our legislators have seen the value in allowing people to have, continue to have telebehavioral mental health services. So um, that could be an option to start getting some services at home to help you figure out how you can make those first steps. Um, 
So I, I hope that helped a little bit. But I think opening up conversation, putting things out on the table are really important. I think they're really important. And again, if if this is a tough situation, I think a little planning on how the conversation might go would be a really good thing for you because making sure that you say kind words and and not unkind words because this individual probably already knows they have an issue, already knows that um that this is a big problem, but they're paralyzed, and every time they think they need to make a change, they can't. So giving tools on how to make a change are really important. All right, we're going to go to our next caller. We have Kat. Hi, Kat. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing fine. Um, I just wanted to call in regards to the topic um, and just, I guess, just discuss, like, maybe the anxiety of being a new mother mm. or just have recently have had a child and, like, all of the things that you have to juggle in in that role, in the many roles that is that one role. Um, and so one of the things that I've realized recently is that I can't really – not I can't, I don't like to use that word. <laughs> um, it is not beneficial for me to subscribe to other people's ideas of womanhood for me right now. Mm. So, you know, as a woman, you know, you're supposed to cook and clean and do all the things and take care of the kids and keep yourself looking perfect and work and do all these other things. Mm. And um, I realized that I'm just in a phase of life where we have a... a a small, smaller child, he's five, and then we have one that's a few months old. Mm-hmm. And so a... that is the phase of life that I am in. Right. And it's not fair for me to project the Pinterest-looking household. It, it won't look like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. But it's um, just motherhood in general. If people haven't been through it, it's so it's so hard to explain it. Um, it's like you can have four things on your to-do list and you only get two done. And people are like, well, why haven't you done anything? And, you know, if you don't, if you don't know, you don't know. Um, and so just thinking about all the hats and different things that I'm doing now, um, it's been beneficial for me not to subscribe to other people's ideas. And hopefully that'll help another new mom you know, in her journey. So yeah. Kat, I just, first of all, um, you have one full-time job at home, and that is taking care of that five-year-old and that something month-old. Um, that alone is a full-time job, and I am sure any other mother that is listening it will fully agree with that. But then you mentioned the other jobs that so many times feel like they fall onto women more than men, and that's taking care of the household, cleaning, cooking meals, and doing 
doing that. I think we've gotten better over the years that that Donna Reed household is is not uh, the what everybody expects now. Luckily, they know that many times men and women share those household chores, but some don't. And and I will say that that they're like you said, they're still some people who subscribe to that superwoman model and that you should be able to look beautiful, work full or part-time, run a household, take care and nurture your children all at the same time. And so you do have to set your priorities. And I wish I could remember the old saying, um, but, but someone after I had my first child, gave me a lovely little plaque that said something about, you know, now that you're a mother, um, you can put away the household chores, put away those other important things. Those will always be there, but your child won't always be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they'll grow into an adult. Whether you have been there and enjoyed and relished and, and, and loved every part of that parenting, which is not always enjoyable, I will say. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there are some negative moments, right? Um, Like, the dirty diapers and the mess that they create and the crying and the temper tantrums, all of that's tough. But if you are rested and equipped to do it and not stressed by what you said, other people's standards, then you'll do a much better job and you'll end up happier. So I think this could be another whole radio show discussing this topic. Um so Kat, I hope you I hope you are you are taking some time to take care of yourself. That's real important. So we're working around it. <laughs> I think right. I'm terrible at it, but I will say the piece that I have obtained recently is through setting boundaries at my job. Luckily, I'm able to um, I'm able to create my schedule and tailor it the way that I need to. And so instead of taking on a lot of patience, I've scheduled time to pump because I'm also breastfeeding, which is another job within itself. It is. I'm, I've scheduled pumping sessions, and I'm not breaking those. Usually I would try to, okay, well, I could fit. Mm-mm. No, no, no. I need the milk, one, because it's free, two, because formula is not Um <laughs> And so prioritizing that and wanting to get them, the, in my opinion, the best. Everybody's not able to do it. I wasn't able to do it the first time, but I am now. And so it's my choice to do that. Um, and I just, I found peace in being able to at least set the boundary to make that important. So even though I'm at work and I'm away from my baby, at least I can still produce and give him that. And, you know, We'll have time together on the weekends or at the very end of the day when you're running around the house trying to get ready for the next day. But I found peace in that, but I am horrible at taking care of myself, so I'm trying to do better. (laughs) Okay, we'll do better with that. But I will say major kudos to you about drawing that line with the breastfeeding. You mentioned two important things. One, um, 
breast milk's free to formulas are are in many areas still not readily available. But the most important thing is that it is really, if you can, the best thing for the baby. And it is such a wonderful bonding thing in the early year, a, a few months of life. And so I think if there is a workplace, especially you mentioned patients, I will just say, um, there should never be a medical workplace that doesn't support that, nor should there be any workplace that doesn't support breastfeeding to a new mother and, and allowing downtime and a private space for that. That is what is supposed to be going on. So, Kat, um, do that now. The last thing I'll say to you is take time for that long, warm bath or that shower um, and a little bit of time to maybe get your hair taken care of or whatever, because it goes a long way in feeling good about yourself later and in some calming strategies. So thanks for that call. I know there are a lot of mothers applauding out there right now, and I bet there's some dads, too. Who, who would join in and support you for sure, because I've seen a lot of men really jumping into the, the arena of making sure that kids are priority, that we take care of our kids. You know, I will say there's been, uh, been a lot of upset about rights and choice, but I think if we would all concentrate on taking care of all children all of the time, there would be a lot uh, less fighting about who and when, okay, from the very beginning. Take care of your kids. If you care about kids, take care of them all the time. Okay, I'm sorry I got on my little soapbox. Well, you know what I'd like to do in just the last few minutes is talk about how you can reduce anxiety. If you feel like you're letting that stress get to you and your anxiety is mounting, there really are some things that you can do that really will ease stress. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I'm going to say it again at the at the possibility of some of you going, you've talked about that because it's so important. And a lot of people hear it, but they don't practice it. So breathe. Breathing, deep breathing, is one of the most calming things that you can do. And the main thing that you have to remember is if you're going to try to calm yourself with deep breathing, you need to get to a quiet place if you can, close your eyes, and then either concentrate on counting to five as you breathe in counting to five as you breathe out very slowly and concentrate on counting the numbers or concentrate on saying a phrase as you're built breathing slowly in and out. It works. I promise you it works. And most people say that that's something they use. I know it sounds simple, but it's the right thing that you should do. If you can, uncross your legs, place your feet flat on the floor, Close your eyes and maybe even darken the room, and it'll help, okay? That's that's one of them. And I can go into all of the different ways of breathing, but we don't have time. So 
just remember breathe, breathe slowly, and don't and push any other thought out by replacing it with either the counting or a phrase, okay? I am one of those people who aromatherapy works. Smells make a big difference for me. So um, some people carry lavender oil around, believe it or not. Some people like the smell of mint or lemon balm. That feels calming. Some people like the smell of eucalyptus. Whatever is calming to you, um, if keep it. Um, if it helps you calm to go to sleep, use it. It's cheap, and um, there is now taking oral essential oils is not recommended in general. So it's using it on your skin or using uh, the smell. And it differs for different people, but just keep that in mind. It really can work. Another thing that some people don't know about is acupressure, not puncture. Acupuncture we know works. There's science behind that for certain things. Acupressure does seem to work in some situations. Um, So believe it or not, one area where acupressure seems to work is (laughs) some stress release if you Put pressure between your big toe right below uh, on the meat of your foot between your big toe and your your second toe. Just pressure on that sometimes can be really calming and helpful. Massage definitely can be helpful if you have a good, the right kind of masseuse and if you're one of those who is comfortable with that kind of touch. But some people don't find that calming but it it is safe as long as you have a trained masseuse okay um the other thing is just learn the value of acceptance that there are some things that you truly cannot change and worrying about them will not change them so to to put your mind Center your mind on knowing where you are in the here and now and what you can change and what you cannot. There are many other techniques that are out there that you can use. And if you'd like to know more, you can feel free to to email me. I'll I'll send a few more that will be on our um, website that you can take a look. So... All right, our time is up again. This hour always goes so rapidly. If you'd like to hear this show the in its complete or any past episodes, like I've said before, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Search Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, engineered by Jay White. Uh, Call screener was Charles Arnold, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.